Uh, this is Workplace Dilemmas and Business Ethics for the Christian. And uh, the, the panel of people that are up here will, will be introducing here in just a moment. But uh, I'm glad you came. And there will be opportunities as we go along. If someone has a, a question or a clarification, please don't hesitate to raise your hand. Uh, sh- just you know, uh, give a short idea or something that you'd like to add to our discussion. We're happy to have that. But uh, I'm going to begin. Now, I, I am, my name is Dan Houghton, and I served as ASI president from 1997 to 1999, um, also for a number of years as a vice president of the organization. Every one of us up here have served as a president of ASI. That's why we're here. We, they ask a, a past president's group to come together. Um, and we, all of us are involved in business ministry of some kind. In fact, almost all of us are involved in both of those. In fact, all of us are. And so we're going to share a number of experiences that, that we have uh, gone through, that we have learned from. And that's one of the things that's really, you know, an amazing thing. Every, I don't care how accomplished you have become at anything, you can always learn. And so we learn from each other. We learn from you. We... Uh, I, how many of you enjoyed the morning session this morning with Pat? Wasn't that phenomenal? You know, just seeing uh, that godly woman who carried on, um, you know, that, that inspired me, and I'm learning again. Uh, and, and we're all here to, to learn in this process. But um, I, I hope that you find this to be very uh, enjoyable. We're going to be getting into some, some uh, interesting topics. We're going to talk about how to share your faith to an employee. That's one of the things, if you're an employer, how do you share your faith with an employee? Um, We're going to be talking about the impact of the uh, Supreme Court ruling back in June uh, relative to same-sex marriage and how that impacts both the employment environment and also how it impacts possible uh, witness as well. Uh, So we're going to get into a lot of different things. There'll be a lot of practical ideas that come. There's been a a lot of experience up here from, from this group that have had actual first-hand experience working with their staff and witnessing in very unusual ways in the business world. I'd like to just ask you to bow your heads with me as we begin uh, our, our discussions here. Holy Father, thank you for the privilege of giving us an ASI organization that we can all gather together in a community with and being a part of a larger community, the Seventh-day Adventist Church in our world. We know we have a destiny, and we're living that destiny right now. And Lord, Help us to be tuned into you and gain practical ideas today that we can replicate as we go back into the world where we live. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to first go down uh, the line, and I'm going to introduce the person to my right, um, Henry Martin. Henry uh, was the president of ASI when I first—well, actually, no, you were the vice president when I first came to ASI the first time. Harold was president. But uh, Henry's someone that I— began to get acquainted with uh, almost a little over 30 years ago. And uh, Henry was someone that as a young person coming to ASI, and I was only 27 at that time, uh, he took an interest in me and began to mentor and coach and pull, try to pull some good out of me. And uh, Henry uh, at that time uh, ran a, a business, a family business, a Mercedes uh, Bent's Volvo dealership in Grants Pass, Oregon, had a real-world uh, environment. In fact, one of the things I'll, I'll never forget, he hasn't done this project yet. He wants to write a book called The Adventist Deal. 
And uh, we, we, I haven't seen that, that book yet, but uh, Henry is a wealth of information, a man who has, if you've not heard his conversion story, which he doesn't have time to tell today, but uh, if you haven't heard his conversion story, it's a, wonderful, it's a wonderful experience of how God grabs someone and moves them. And Henry, I'm going to pass this, and I want you to introduce the guy next to you. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Harold Lance, Attorney Harold Lance, uh, sits at my right. And uh, he has been my mentor all through my journey. As a matter of fact, my wife and I found our ASI experience has been a great contributor to our own spiritual journey. This has been something that is the most important to us. And some people vote to go to general conference session, and we choose to go to ASI. Anyway, uh, Harold Lance uh, was in a very successful law practice in Ontario, California when we first met and uh, up until his retirement. And he has served on uh, the Pacific Union Committee and he has served the General Conference and uh, he has made an impact on the lives of many of us because of his good, sound legal experience and his passion for the Lord. And so I want to introduce to you Harold Lance. Hi there. Debbie Young sits to my right, and she is a nurse by profession. She's administrator by assignment, and she's been a leader in ASI for a long time and really is effective. When you see Debbie come up and talk, you don't know what she's going to say, but it will make sense. And to my right is Norm Wrights. He is an attorney who practices a state law in Northern California. And uh, Norm, uh, he and I actually served together on the same team a couple of times in ASI leadership. And what I've been most impressed by with uh, Norm is his devotion and commitment to evangelism. Despite running a very busy practice, uh, he has often, he and his wife Gail, often went on evangelistic meetings. And um, I would like to say they shut down their practice, but they didn't. They left it in the Lord's hands, and the Lord just manipulated the, the volume of work so that it was manageable until they returned and um, has never lost or failed in his uh, business uh, as a result of his commitment to evangelism. So uh, he is a real example um, to all of us as to what we can do when we put our businesses and our ministries in the Lord's hands and our, we be about his business. Sometimes people ask, what is the core concept of ASI? Well, it is service, and it is following the principle that if you seek first the kingdom of God, he gives you everything else. I'd like to introduce Denzel McNeilis, who follows that principle. He has, and his family have dedicated their businesses, first manufacturing, now for Denzel banking, to the Lord. And there are stories, if you look at some of the Adventist materials on tithing and miracle stories, uh, there is a story in there about McNeilis uh, manufacturing. Denzel is uh, a inveterate traveler and uh, presenter, and occasionally he can't do it all, and some of us can get to do it as well. <laughs> right. 
I want to get started by sharing an experience that we have had at one at our plant down in Walla Walla. We have a uh, a, a printing company down there, and uh, a couple of years ago, uh, my the, the guy who is was my president at the time and leading that company called me up and he said, um, "I want to really do an unusual hire." He said, "I want to make sure you're okay with it." He had found a guy at a halfway house where he was ministering that had gone through three divorces. He uh, had been in jail for six months, and he had all these different problems. And he said, I would like to hire him and bring him on to, to do some labor work here in, uh, in, in the plant. He said, I know it's high risk, but he said, we're doing our best. And he said, I've got several of our guys that work in the, in the post-production area of the plant that are willing to help him. What do you think? And I said, well, it's your responsibility and you're willing to take responsibility. Okay, now that was dangerous. Okay, it was. Anybody who knows anything about business, you know that's dangerous. I want you to know over the next year and a half that that team of people in that plant would actually call to wake him up in the morning, make sure he was there on time. He got, they got him an apartment less than three blocks from our plant, and they, as a team of people, began to try to make sure that this guy had a chance to make it in life. Now, you've got to realize, after three divorces and his wages were garnished, that he hardly had anything left of his check when he got done. And so the different people would invite him to their home. They would do everything. And he had the opportunity to see firsthand people that cared. They did everything they could to keep him off of drugs and alcohol. And you know, when I went up and met this young man and we began to talk, I was astounded at the quality that he had for an individual who thought that life had just completely passed him by, didn't know what. For a year and a half before he moved on to another town, we had an opportunity to witness to him in that marketplace. Sometimes you have to take a risk, and we did. It didn't hurt us, but we had an opportunity to impact an individual dramatically, and I really handed to the team of people that I had at that place at that time. And those are the kinds of things that when you have a business and you want to turn it into a ministry, sometimes you do. Now, sometimes you don't, but sometimes you do. And, um, you know, when you stop and think about, uh, about what Jesus did and his risk for all of us, couldn't we take some risks once in a while for people? And Henry, I know that you've taken more than one risk in your life when it comes to sharing Christ in the marketplace. Uh, in your business, selling cars, what kinds of situations did you have where you were able to share Jesus Christ um, with people that were both your staff and customers coming in? Well, n- nobody thinks that uh, you could have any kind of a spiritual impact in an automobile agency. Uh, it's an it's a negotiated sale. It's a mixture of businesses, a service department that has skilled technicians that are working on cars, and and a spare parts department that are managing a inventory. Sometimes uh, quite a few dollars are invested in inventory, and uh, you have to have the right things in stock at the right time. So, in our business, we were doing overseas delivery as well. Uh, because there wasn't a quota limit on how many cars we delivered at the factory, and so we took group tours over. But the the question you ask, you know, what about uh, the impact, uh, uh, spiritual impact on employees? 
we had at one time a, a lot of unrest going on between our parts department and service department. The people in the service department were accusing the parts people of not having the right inventory in, in hand at the time that it was needed. And the parts guys were uh, accusing the technicians in the workshop of uh, diagnosing problems using new parts, which was uh, very unethical. So uh, they, they were using a lot of foul language. And we, we had a service secretary. As a matter of fact, she's here this week. Um, Gloria Wilson was her name, and she's, she's a retired nurse now. But at that time, she was our service secretary, and she handled warranty claims and so on. And she called me one morning, real early in the morning, and she said, Henry, I think I've got the answer to the problems we have between parts and service. I think what we need to start doing is start praying for everybody in the company every day by name. And I said, Gloria, it's a wonderful, wonderful idea. I said, would you type up, we used typewriters in those days, would you, uh, would you type up everybody's name? And there were three of us out of 35 uh, workers at that business uh, who were uh, Seventh-day Adventist Christians. So we, she typed up three three-by-five cards with everybody's name in it. We started praying for everybody every day. And we were amazed in what the outcome was. Over, over a length of, of many months, uh, finally, we started seeing results. I had to be to a new model introduction in Berlin, and they wanted to deliver cars to all the dealers who could then drive around Europe, and at the end of 10 days or two weeks, they'd turn the cars in, they'd be shipped home to where their dealership was. And I tried to get them to deliver my car on a Friday afternoon or Saturday night or Sunday morning, and they said no, the only time they could do it was Saturday morning, and so I said I'll pass on the car. And so I flew to Stuttgart and took, spoke to a number of our young people down there at a, at a youth rally. But uh, God gives us opportunities. I came home and found that, that uh, three people from our workshop, uh, a Mercedes technician and his wife from Germany, and a Nissan or Datsun technician, all three of them were attending an evangelistic series. And I hadn't invited them I hadn't given them a note or a, a piece of literature to come to the meetings or anything like that. They just came at the end of the meetings. At the end of the meetings, they all three were baptized, and and God has some remarkable results just waiting for you if you're ethical, if you're committed to Him in everything you do. And I just want to recommend you know, one thing uh, this morning, and that is. Start praying for everybody in your organization every day, depending on whether it's clients or patients or whether it's uh, workers like we have. Okay. Um, thank you, Henry. Um, Harold, in your legal practice, uh, you had opportunity for witness many times. Um, describe some of those two for us. My practice was essentially a trial practice. I tried about 150 jury trials over my career. And in a, in a jury trial, at some point in time, you have an opportunity to speak 
and to tell your side of the case and to illustrate it in however you choose to do that. And for the last, oh, probably 15, 20 years of my practice, in, at the point where I reach the rebuttal argument at the end of the case, I typically was a, a lawyer for the plaintiff, the one bringing the claim. And so I had an opportunity to to make an argument to illustrate it at that point, and I always chose in every case to use some biblical concept or biblical principle that was I thought would be applicable that they could understand. And the Christians who were on the jury, they had recognition because I, I never identified. I just said in an old book or in an ancient writing or words of that kind to describe what took place, and and uh, it was a. It was a, a witness that that uh, I think was unique. The other lawyer had no chance to rebut and to say anything because it was at the last point of the case, and 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 it I think was an effective tool and and was allowed me to say something about the God we serve. Well, at a point in my career, I managed a busy mother baby and antepartum unit. And uh, my opportunity for witness often came with uh, the chance to have prayer with an employee who was going through um, some difficulty. Um, and that difficulty uh, may often have been with uh, an interaction with a patient that didn't, maybe didn't end well. And so I was actually bringing them into the office to have a conversation with them about how we might be able to do that better. And um, it, it was, you know, you can imagine, the minute you say, can I speak with you just for a few minutes? Let's find a private place. Let, can you just come into my office? You know, <laughs> the hairs on the back of their um, neck goes up because that doesn't always represent um, a, a pleasant conversation. And uh, when they come in and we have the conversation and I'm, you know, listening and trying to understand and place myself in their position, uh, we get through it and um, I think they are often very surprised because they've said so that it wasn't um, as punitive uh, as they thought it, they expected for it to be. Um, taking that opportunity to let them know, I says, well, you know, I, I happen to be in partnership with someone who um, has extended mercy to me. And so uh, I find it important to be able to extend mercy and understanding to others. And would it be okay with you if, if we pray about this? And um, I have never had anyone to refuse, but in fact would be falling over to say, yes, would you? And I have found that that has um, fostered a relationship between a manager and employee that um, is very different, um, that I've garnered a level of respect while they may not have um, appreciated the uh, decisions or the rules that may have been asked to be followed, uh, but they understood what my motivation was. They knew that my partner um, in managing the unit was someone greater than myself. And so the ability to be able to pray with um, employees and give them some insight uh, has often um, helped them extend then some mercy, understanding, and patience with their peers or with patients. 
Uh, I think the most um, eye-opening uh, revelation uh, to me on the impact of that had to do with an employee that uh, was in an entry-level position and um, seemed to be kind of just off on her own thing and not very, um, how can I say, uh, respectful of, of rules and direction. And while I was um, appropriately managerially firm, um, was always understanding and listening, really extend, tried to extend and understand. Years later, when I left that unit, um, I was working in a different location, was off work for a year to take care of some personal matters, returned and returned to a completely different environment uh, in the institution. I saw her in the uh, hallway, and it was <laughs> with a big smile on her face, came ran, running towards me and gave me a really big hug, and how are you doing, and I've really missed you, it's really good to see you. And I was in a little bit of a shock because I had no idea that um, the Lord had allowed me to leave such an impression on this individual that she would remember, even remember me, or even care, <laughs> and um, to give me that kind of reception. And it just told me that to the extent that we can impress others with um, the character and the, the, um, the compassion that God has shown us, we never know at what point we will understand the kind of impact that that has had on their lives. Was it in a, yes, it was, it's a secular hospital, yes. I have a law practice, and when you are your own employer, nobody can set the rules. So there's nobody that can fire me. There's nobody that can say I can't talk about a certain subject. So I have a, a, a blessed event, and may, maybe someday there, are, there would be limits, but there are not today. In my law practice where I do uh, estate planning, we have four literature racks in our waiting room. We have the Nathan Green painting called, is it the silent partner, senior partner? Senior partner, senior partner which shows Jesus standing behind Danny Houghton Jr. and uh, <laughs> shaking hands with the uh, uh, client on the other side. So by the time people get in to see me, they've talked to my receptionist, they have seen the material on the walls and, and the subject matter on the brochures, and they understand that this is some kind of a Christian place. They don't necessarily always understand, you know, they might think you're a Mormon or something else, but many times, by the time they're there, they're, they're already intrigued. I mean, they ask the questions. They, they generally set the tone of the conversation. And because some of what we do deals with death, we have literature that talks about death, you know, the, the, what happens when you die, comfort after death for those that are grieving. So that is understood, and that's part of the, the game plan when you sit down at a desk, you close the door, there's an attorney-client privilege, and they share with you their family issues, what their desires are, where they want things to go when they die. And we've had several instances where people will break down and cry. You know, I don't want to die. I'm afraid of death. I mean, the, the subject is, is avoided in a lot of life, but it's right on the table when you're there. And we have such hope to give, you know, when you can share that that's not the enemy. You know, uh, that's not the end. And you have big opportunities to do that. O over the years, I probably invited uh, over 100 clients to come to church, probably had a dozen that have come, have four that I know that are baptized. 
But you never really know at the you know, mom, present moment what the impact has been because you're a little piece of the picture. They will say, I knew a, a dentist up in so-and-so, you know, that was a Seventh-day Adventist. Are you one of them? Or, or later they'll remember you and you're part of the whole train of events in their life that leads them to a place where the golden opportunity comes to make a decision. And one of the things that, that, that has, has just amazed me is that in a place where you serve clients, if you're there long enough and if you do a good enough job, the whole world comes to you. There's a famous book called Acres of Diamonds by Russell Conwell, and the whole theme of it is that people go off uh, to different places to seek their fortune. You've got to make it somewhere else. You've got to go beyond the edge. But if you sit there, people come to you. We've had the aunt of Princess Diana. We've had Charlie Chaplin's granddaughter sitting at our table. We have heirs to the owners of the Boston Red Sox franchise. They come if, if, if you're there long enough and you've got a reputation, and the Lord will bring to you. And I don't always pray, but I should pray for that kind of opportunity because you're at a crossroads and you're at a place where you have an opportunity to share for effect. Well, I have to say that all my ideas that I've had through the years and are witnessing the business are not original. Uh, I got them all from here, from ASI and ASI members. For an example, Henry always talks about having divine appointments. And so, and, and you have to lead out, okay, you have to lead out. So for an example, uh, I've met a customer and he says, how are you doing today? And I said, I'm blessed. And he said, he said, uh, he said, that's right, you're a Christian. I'd like to talk to you more. And we went to a dinner, had a nice long dinner together. And, and it's interesting, we developed a relationship with him and his wife now. And we've had several, my wife and I have gone to dinner with him on several occasions. Uh, very interesting, he came up to me and says, you believe in Ellen White, don't you? A prophet, Ellen White. And, of course, this is a guy I don't, don't even know. And I thought, okay, how, Lord, how do I answer this? And I says, well, you know, I believe in the Bible, and I believe that Ellen White uh, has the true test of a prophet. So, yes, I do believe in Ellen White. And he says, well, that's good because I've read some of her books, and I think she's a prophet too. <laughs> and I never met, I, we never even talked about it. Uh, there are so many opportunities I have learned through the years, and I could tell each one of us could take this whole time. And uh, I just want to say that if you pray for divine appointments, if you, it's amazing. I bet about once a month I'll have a, uh, uh, one of my employees come in and shut the door and say, Denzel, I just, like one, one play just came to my mind. I just saw this movie called Noah. Is there any truth to that? You know, and so we sat down. We probably had a 45-minute Bible study on Noah because she would never even read the Bible before. And uh, another person came. I mean, I got story after story of things like that. You know, hanging Nathan Greenart in our office. So important. I learned that from an ASI member. Uh, putting Desire of Ages in our, in our lobbies. I learned that from an ASI member. Putting Creation Magazine in, the, in our lobbies. Uh, learned that from an ASI member. In Health Magazines in, the, in our lobby. Uh, sending Signs of the Times to my employees. Learned that from an ASI member. And it's amazing, you know, but the thing I think is so important is that if each one of us would consciously, like my wife and I now have consciously picked key customers of ours, board members, and we go to dinner with them. I mean, we're going to dinner with a customer, I'd say at least one every 10 days or so, uh, and we're going to dinner with them. And, of course, they want to talk about travel and all this type of stuff, but then they ask, why do you travel? It gives you great opportunities to witness. And I think is if we all have an opportunity in each one of our areas that we can go and witness to people and 
the Lord will give us the opportunities if we just pray and be open to his will. That's right. Yes, what question? Personalizing a book that you would give to someone. Yeah, customizing to each person. And as I was listening to all of my esteemed uh, colleagues up here sharing, it reminded me of a specific story that I want to share because sometimes the person you think would be least likely to be open is the one that has the greatest need and is that way. And here's the situation. This, this happened back a few years ago when I was the administrator of a healthcare institution. And I was in a town that didn't have a church. It was a dark county. Um, the nearest church was 35 miles away, and uh, there was not. But yet we had a Seventh-day Adventist health care facility in that, facility, in that town. And, you know, whenever I would come, I would always evaluate the people that were around me to see who, who may be a prospect. We all prospect, don't we? When we're selling, we're prospecting. And we had one of the staff members was a vivacious, wonderful woman who could... She was the activity director for, for this long-term care facility. And she was someone that was the life of the party and everything, but she was also a, a girl that was completely uh, in the world. And we had an Adventist chaplain in that facility that would go into the break room, and when the Adventist chaplain came into the break room, she would tell the dirtiest joke she could think of to see if she could embarrass him. And even though she was wonderful in every way, we said, well, you know, Chris is not someone who we would ever try to witness to. Well... One, uh, one Monday morning, about 10 after 8, I was sitting in my office, and all of a sudden, she walks through the door, closes the door, and sits down and begins to cry. I said, what in the world is wrong? She says, well, have you read the paper this morning? I said, well, no, I haven't, actually. She says, well, my husband um, got drunk again this weekend and wrecked our car, uh, and it's, there's a picture of it on the front page of the newspaper. And she said, I'm so embarrassed, I'm afraid it'll... You know, she was concerned that it was going to affect her job and, and my willingness as the administrator of that facility to trust her. And I quickly assured her that her performance was wonderful and, and thank you for it and we'll work through with this with you. And I gave her the support that she needed. And as she was leaving... Now, here's one more part of the story. I knew I was going to be leaving and transferring from that facility to another one in two months. I had a two-month lead time because of some extraneous problems that were going on at the other facility. And I had decided, because I'd only been in that location two years, I said, you know what, I want to start Bible studies here because I hadn't been able to do it yet. So we had decided to start a Revelation seminar in our home. And I had invited four of our employees as well as some other people, but Chris was not on the list. As she started to walk out that door after about 30 minutes visiting over the situation she had been in, uh, the distinct impression came into my mind, invite her to the Revelation Seminar. And I said, by the way, Chris, I don't know if you'd be interested or not, because, you know, as an employer, you have to be very careful because sometimes if you're trying to witness to an employee, they will feel like that there is an obligation built in, and you've got to be really careful with that. that. That requires prayer in and of itself. I said, we're going to be starting a Revelation seminar in our home on Tuesday nights. That's the next night. And I said, I don't know if you'd be interested or not, but I just want to invite you. If, you, if you're interested, let me know. Twenty minutes later, she called my wife at home to get directions. And over that began a course of a whole new world. And I can tell you that um, that's been 25-plus years ago. 
uh, she became one of the foundational uh, members of the church in that area, uh, became the, uh, the chairman of the school board for the church school, uh, became an elder, one of the first women elders in, the, in one of the local churches in, in Wisconsin. And uh, of her three daughters, I know all three of them attended Southern Adventist University, and one of them is now a business manager for one of our academies. So you never know. I would have never picked her out as someone that would be open, but yet God arranged. So that's the other thing. You've got to be opportunists for God. You've got to be alert, and whenever the opportunity presents itself, you go. And, and Dan, you know, it's best if they ask you the questions. If they're your employee and, and you are pushing doctrine, you can get into legal issues as well. So you just you, your ear has to be open for that seminal question. About two weeks ago, my paralegal was doing some entries, and I don't know where he came up, and he was reading something, and he said, Mr. Rice, I mean, he, this guy's an ex-Marine, 12 years, he's a big, beefy, you know, real man's man. Mr. Rice, are you a vegetarian? And he knows that I run, and, you know, I'm, I'm not Mr. Wimp. I mean, I, you know, I, I run my office pretty tight, ship. And are you a vegetarian? And, and then I explained. I had a 25-minute Bible study on Genesis diet and the Adventist health study. And, and he asked the question. Yeah. That's right. You, you need to be, if you're praying for every employee by name every day, you're going to watch those opportunities pop up. And you, get, you just have to be ready to share your faith at the drop of a hat like Dan did, just at the drop of a hat. And I think in First Peter is some counsel on that. But you can find tremendous counsel on how to operate a business or professional office if you look in the index to the Spirit of Prophecy. I found over 100 pages on how to operate a business. It's, it's very, very important that you uh, connect with people in elected offices. They need to know who you are, and you need to know who they are. Just stop and think among your friends, your peers, your church members. Who knows the elected representatives in Washington or in Olympia or in Salem or Sacramento? Uh, who is it that's connected? Because uh, when the time comes that they want to ask some questions about a relevant question, they need to know that you stand for faith. And your employees need to know that, too, that you're principled. So try to hire people who are already high ethical people, uh, if you can, and then uh, carefully role model well for them and love them. I, I think a lot of people, employees, think of th that their boss or supervisor is looking for an opportunity to come down on them and to be able to catch them doing something wrong and then uh, save up three or four of those and fire them. But there's a book written some years ago called The One-Minute Manager, and it says catch people doing something right and tell them about it. And I would urge you to do that. I think that's a very clear mark of a Christian manager. Catch somebody doing something right and tell them about it. One of the things that's happening in our world is it's changing very rapidly. The things that were the norm yesterday are not necessarily the norm today. I was just reading an article in the newspaper about a week and a half ago that said the eight-hour workday is a thing of the past. Did any of you see that? 
what's happening more and more is, especially with the millennial generation, the, uh, you know, uh, as an example, when I went to college, there were 7 o'clock in the morning classes. Do any of you know of a 7 a.m. class at a college today? I'm looking at a guy from Southern Adventist. They're not there, are they? <laughs> oh, a PE class at 7.30. But basically, even our schools have adjusted to the lifestyle of our current generation that stays up later at night and gets up later in the morning. And there's also a process where there's flex work hours and people, you, you know, people can work at home, telecommute, etc. And that, that brings a whole host of new challenges, and I would like to give the panel a chance to respond to those. But specifically, as we're getting into that, I want to ask Harold to address um, the issue of the Supreme Court ruling that all of us have noted with incredible trepidation that took place toward the end of June, I think June 26, 27, somewhere in there, where the Supreme Court of the United States um, basically said same-sex marriage is now the law of the land and how that will ripple into our businesses and the church is something of importance. And Harold, if you could address that. In our lifetimes, our recent experience, we've seen a phenomenal change in attitude within the public, you know. It's not just the Democrats anymore. It's not just the liberals anymore. It's not just whatever. It's all of society has undergone a transformation of ideas. Uh, in our lifetimes, there were other restrictions that we have seen go by. And now this uh, idea of the LBGT and same-sex marriage and so forth has become a um, phenomenal change of attitude issue that uh, we've watched it kind of creep from state to state and area to area. And, and then when the Supreme Court ruled a few weeks ago that said that a same-sex marriage was the law of the land and must be respected everywhere. Uh, it didn't answer all the questions. It didn't deal with uh, employment issues, but it it certainly cast a shadow over uh, our Judeo-Christian ideas about what really is uh, marriage and so forth. The present polls indicate that that issue is is relatively equally divided now. One of the latest polls is 47 to 49 percent take your choice. And uh, with uh, the Boy Scouts in the last few days uh, capitulating and saying that they were going to now allow uh, uh, gay uh, leaders to uh, be in contact with the boys and, and so forth. And what's going to come of that That situation? Where is this going to go? There are many, many unanswered questions now with regard to the employment issues and uh, issues of business where services are involved. You've all heard and read of the bakery and the, and the photographer and the pharmacist and so forth who are confronted with uh, either providing services or risking to have some kind of uh, uh, civil rights litigation imposed on them or losing the license. Uh, a university in, in the Northeast 
recently lost its accreditation because it refused to allow the same housing for uh, same-sex couples that it did for opposite-sex couples. Well, how's where's this going to go, and what's how's it going to impact the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Uh, you can just imagine that uh, I heard a, a report relatively recently that a retired Seventh-day Adventist worker lost his wife to, to death and remarried a man and has asked the brethren to include his new spouse with the same rights of, of uh, uh, remuneration and health care and uh, uh, successor benefits that a, his opposite-sex wife had before. What's going to happen in terms of, of our colleges and universities and perhaps academies and even grade schools who have accepted government money? for uh, uh, voucher programs and, and other benefits where uh, one of the, one of the um, uh, requirements is that we treat people equally. How are we going to treat them equally? Uh, will there be a, a situation of surrender of benefits or penalties that are attached or loss of tax-exempt status? And, and what would that mean? And that the tax-exempt status issue certainly could impact our supporting ministries who enjoy a tax-exempt status, and how are they going to relate to uh, these issues? Historically, there has been a religious exemption that has allowed churches and, and faith-based organizations to say, well, I this law doesn't apply to me because... Uh, my concepts of faith would be violated by having to do this or, or that, whatever it happens to be. And there's a huge amount of money, if you go online and look this up, there's a huge amount of money being poured into this area to dispute at every level through litigation and uh, lobbying and influencing legislation uh, by organizations that are wanting to defeat any rendition of the religious exemption rule to take away a person's right to say we are, in effect, a, a religious organization that believes in this particular way, and therefore you can't make us comply with the laws that applies to everybody else. It's going to be a real battlefield. And I, I heard relatively recently that if you think the Seventh-day Adventist Church has had some turmoil over the, uh, over the ordination of women, wait till this issue takes root. And so, Mr. Chairman, I, I think that uh, this is a real issue that's going to impact uh, our businesses, our institutions, our organizations, our local churches. And uh, there may even be uh, challenges to membership in, in relationship to whether or not uh, we have the right to uphold biblical standards with regard to who we accept as membership. And it's, uh, it, I don't know where it's going, but I know it's going to be a ride. Sure, I just wanted to add a few comments. Because in my law practice, I have represented gay clients. 
had a, a large trial with two gay men, and I was in a very conservative county in California. We won the trial. Uh, and the uh, opposing counsel made the mistake of, of raising it as an issue. And, you know, it's, it is a ride. It is fascinating. About three weeks ago in my office, I had a woman, a, a daughter of a man, and, and we were dealing with a man's affairs. And she was conversing, and, and I, the way she was talking, it sounded like she was married. I looked, I said, are, are you married? You, you don't have a wedding ring. And she said, oh, my husband's in the, in the waiting room. And I looked out there, and there's this lady. So you gotta, you got to learn, and I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know who's the wife and who's the husband and, and what, what all goes on, but, but it's, it's a different world. But I think, we as a, I think that we as Adventists have an opportunity to witness through this time as well. And I think that's what we got to look at as the opportunities. It's amazing over the last uh, three, four months that I've had customers and employees is, who know that what I believe have come to me and said, you know, my church doesn't believe the way I do anymore. Uh, I believe, you know, you know you, your church do, used to uphold these values. And I say, yes, we do. He says, well, tell me more about it. And I've had, I bet I've had at least a half a dozen opportunities to witness in this uh, arena in probably the last two months with employees and customers through, because of uh, they know what we believe and they just want to reaffirm that we still believe that way. And uh, I believe there's a group, a large group of people. You know, Ellen White tells us that in the last days there's going to be a lot of people that pour into our church. And I believe that this can be one of the issues that brings a lot of people into our church. And I think we have an opportunity to tell people, now you don't want to go out and advertise it and this type of thing, but I think by living the example and by leading, like say, pray for opportunities, it's amazing how many times I've had this opportunity to witness, actually had a chance uh, two weeks ago to do it again. You know, um, in, in the real practical sense, I'd like to maybe have several of you address this question. I don't know if anybody here has a bakery or you're a f- professional photographer. The, the question I'm asking is, if you're confronted with the issue in your world, how are you going to relate to it? Now, let me give you an example from our own world. Um, in my local church in Southern California, um, just two weeks ago, I had... And we're a conservative group of people that love the Lord. It's, it's not something, there's, there's not people pushing the edges in places, even though, you know, I, I don't have a problem if somebody's doing that as long, because the Lord can pull you back from any place. But we had, my pastor came and said, Dan, we're going to have a challenge. One of our church members, who comes periodically, but has bounces between churches, one of the things in Southern California, you can go to a lot of churches within a short distance. And, uh, but this, this man and his wife, uh, had been remarried, and each of them had children. And his daughter, at age 12, was baptized in our church. And she is now mid-20s and is not practicing as an Adventist anymore, has been attending one of the universities in Southern California. And uh, her father just found out that she's in a same-sex dating relationship. And it's serious. And he came to our pastor and said, I want to come to the next church board meeting I want to have you take my daughter's membership off of your list because I'm afraid she's going to come and want to be married in the church and you're going to say no and you're going to get sued. That happened two weeks ago. And, of course, 
what, what did we say? And this is where I want to get into this discussion. I said, oh, and, and we had a conversation with this man. I said, no, listen, your daughter's very, very precious to us. I remember when she was baptized when she was 12. We're going to be kind, gracious, and if we get sued, we'll get sued. But we're going to try everything we can to redeem her and hold up the biblical standard, not condemning, but holding up the... See, there's a difference between condemning somebody and holding up a biblical standard. And, and uh, you know, we also, I said, hey, you can't come in and, and have the church drop your daughter's membership. That's not the way it works. You know, there's a process, a due process that happens in that. And, uh, but yet, uh, my point is that we're already experiencing it right now, at least the fear of it. So if, um, Harold, uh, particularly you and Norm and others as well, but you from the legal background, if someone is going to be faced with a challenge in their business that relates to this issue, what are the appropriate ways to respond? I would say, first of all, Jesus said, render under Caesar's that which is Caesar, under God that which is God's. If you can accommodate, not based upon your personal prejudices or your personal ideas, you should accommodate. If it if if you just say, I don't like gays and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bend or I'm not gonna do this or not do that. Uh probably twenty five years ago I tried a, a jury trial and my client was a gay person who on leaving a bar in the city of Pomona was attacked by some thugs, and there was an issue over whether or not there was as adequate security that was that was should have been in place. And the issue of being gay had nothing to do at all with whether or not he was entitled to be uh, compensated for the injuries that he had. That was a complete irrelevancy. During the course of the trial, the judge and the and the bailiff, and they're always tight with each other, uh, they made some offhand, kind of uncomplimentary, sniggery uh, allusions to the fact that this, this client, this plaintiff before the court, was gay. And that was 25 years ago, and you've know, got to know that that was not a popular thing. And it, by, the, uh, by the subtle prejudicial actions of the court and the bailiff in the courtroom, uh, the jury picked it up. And that was, I lost that case and I should not have lost the case based upon the, if it had not been a, if it had not been a, a, a gay person in a society which was intolerant of that kind of situation. And so my, my suggestion is that if someone is entitled under the law to a benefit or a respect or whatever it happens to be, and it doesn't require a violation of your conscience. It may offend your, your, your moral sense. It may offend your ideas of, of what uh, you think is right or, or wrong. If you want to stay out of trouble, do it, pay it, take care of it in an unbiased way, and stay out of that trouble. 
if you want to have a chip on your shoulder and make a make an example out of someone and make yourself a martyr where it isn't really a martyrdom issue, you will invite the, the problem because this issue is not going away. This issue is going to get bigger and bigger and we need to, we need to very thoughtfully choose our fights and make sure that it's a defensible fight or it's thrown away money. There's a text in Proverbs that goes something like this. The wise man sees the pit or the ditch and walks around it. Uh, there, there's a related area that I think is going to be as, as big as, as, as the gay issue, and that is hate speech. You know, we preach, when we preach full, full spectrum evangelism, we preach straight. You know, we identify historical entities. We, we preach the truth as the Bible uh, is written, and... Uh, I think we have to deliberate and we need to have the counsel of the brethren on what you say and how you say it. And there can come a time when, when even our mildest evangelism is considered hate speech. And uh, I think that's a very big and coming area. You know, all this tends to show us that we're getting closer to Jesus coming, doesn't it? The world is going to be changing, and that's what we're talking about today is the world is changing how are we going to adapt in this? And the one thing, I'm going to hand the mic back to Harold in just a second. It occurs to me that, that we have a lot, in, in today's generations, the younger generation, truth as we have upheld it from Scripture is not necessarily the highest standard. It's equality and is it fair? And there is a, a much more accepting attitude towards these variations that we've been talking about in our younger generation today. There just is. Even among Adventist younger people, there's a, well, and so in my, in my own experience, I want to be as kind and gracious to every individual, no matter where they find themselves in the sin spectrum, because I'm also in that spectrum. May not be where they are, but I'm a sinner just like they are. And I want to be as gracious to them as I want Jesus to be gracious to me. But where we need to have some forethought and some preparation is how do I deal with the issue of those who are trying to force me to normalize something? I agree with what Harold said. Be very gracious when you can. Don't let it uh, violate your conscience. But find out whenever you're going to say, you know, that's a choice. I don't agree with that. It's not going to be something that I allow. I believe, and I think this is a chance, Denzel, to bring it back, like you were saying, to the Scriptures. You know, you know some people will look at the Scriptures, and you can't say that the scriptures show a fairness all the time. God is fair ultimately, but it may not be the way we see it. How many of you ever had a kid or a grandchild or a child, uh, when you're talking to them, say, but that's not fair, you know? And that's a very big deal today, and we've got to address that somehow. I, I, we were doing evangelism at San Francisco Central Church, and... Uh, my son was there helping us one night, and we dealt with a part of Revelation where fire comes down from heaven and, and destroys the wicked. Those are my son's words. That's not fair. <laughs> so. uh, here's how close to home to this gets. Some of you know that ASI puts out a series of happiness books. We have uh, the Conflict Series. That's five books. We have Ministry of Healing and Christ Object Lessons. We have uh, Steps to Christ in a new book, or Real uh, Hope, Real Answers. And uh, 
we also have Bible readings. Now, several summers ago, I think it was in the Detroit area, Debbie, uh, we had kids selling books door to door. And they were included in that book sales was Bible readings. And Bible readings had some pretty pointed language about some other faiths. And the, uh, it was in a Catholic uh, neighborhood and Catholic community who complained to the authorities. And our kids were brought in and hailed in for, for hate, uh, distributing hate literature, Bible readings for the home. So it can get pretty close. Paul, I'm going to bring this out so people can hear you. I was asked to give a series of end-time events at Loma Linda University Church where I attend one year ago, and I entitled it, Why Are End-Time Events Compounding So Rapidly Now? One year ago, 15 states had approved same-sex marriages. They asked me to do an update 10 months later. And in 10 months, it went from 15 to 35. And the last day, I was given the series at a, the Loma Linda Villas Lodge Retirement Center, primarily Adventist, that very Friday Supreme Court went from 35 to 100%. All within 10 months, 15, 35, 100%. And now, and Harold touched on it very well, but I want to mention the st federal and state organizers that have been pushing this for 20 years, they said this is only the first. This is just the beginning. And what's going to happen between now and the Lord comes, it's going to be mammoth. But you know, as I listen to you, dear gentlemen and ladies, you know, there are ten commandments. And God said if you break one, you've broken all of them. And for the first time, right now, listening to you lovely people, this is a heinous Sin, homosexuality, I can't comprehend it. It's so terrible. But two things. Jesus loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. Now, we deal, all of us in business, that used to be in business, and are in business now, in ministries, whatever, we deal with sinners all the time. Only it's a different type of sin. We're rushing to condemn this category, which is horrible. And it, they should be condemned, but it's not our place because we're dealing with all kinds of other sinners every day in the week. And there's no difference. If you break one, you break them all. No, that's true. I, um, I, I, before, we, before I take other hands here, I, I just, I just want to say that... In the discussion of this topic, I want to be careful that we're not characterizing um, and just beating up on this particular sin.
okay? There is a, there's a larger element to this from an eschatological and end-time perspective. And I want you to think about this. What is the devil's ultimate plan in, the, in this great controversy? What is his ultimate plan? Well, it's distraction, but isn't it also to cause the whole world to break God's Ten Commandments and honor him? He wants us to disregard that's God's right. word and the, the law. And that's what, this, that's what I see this is really all about. If in preparation for the Sunday issues that we know are coming, if he can get us into a situation where as a, as a world society we already are in violation, direct violation of God's law, then we lose the protections that God has given to our nation. I mean, that's great, straight out of great right. controversy, that, that whenever we, be, we have as a nation speak, and by the way, it says our nation speaks through her laws. And through the entities that promulgate the laws and interpret the laws. That's the Supreme Court. That's right. And so this is, and I'm, I'm not the legal scholar here, but it seems like to me that this is the largest, if not the first big time, where we've actually had the law of the land in direct violation of the Ten Commandments. Isn't that, is that... Well, in a cosmic sense, yes. You know, looking from outside in, this is when the lamb-like beast is beginning to speak like a dragon. And I think the next thing we see, and so here's, here's, here's what I was attempting to, to make sure we get out here, is that we are appalled, okay, and I'll say that, we're appalled because we sense that Society is moving away from the standard of God's, the Judeo-Christian standard that Harold mentioned a little while ago. And that is a natural reaction in some people. But the bigger question is, let's be kind to people. Let's do everything we can to win people, but not compromise our position. And instead of saying, these are my convictions, I'm going to be saying, this is what the Bible says. Okay? Different segments of society are more or less open to the ideas. The millennials, they don't get the idea that they that gays should be discriminated against in any way. They don't get that at all. And they, the essential attitude is that any kind of criticism of that lifestyle and that choice is just bigotry, flat-out bigotry. The implication for... For evangelism is tremendous, as a, a an, in a negative way. If you have the millennials believing that the Seventh Adventist Church and Christianity generally is just bigoted, who wants to go there? Okay, freedom of speech. If you did, weren't able to hear this, he was asking: Has the state or the government? delineated the difference between free speech and hate speech. And I'll let one of you guys... I'll say not, not yet in the United States. There still is a modicum of freedom and ability to express. The amendment, First Amendment, still gives that right. However, in Canada, it is very onerous. You cannot preach anything in Canada about the beast, the mark of the beast, the identity of the little horn, you know, some of the truths, uh, 666, they just don't get spoken in public in Canada. You know, it's we went, we went we went by several things real fast. Um, we have some neighbors in our community in Fallbrook, California, where I live, that are not Adventists, but they're strong Christians. And in the midst of all of this stuff, they want to know, as Denzel talked about a minute, 
how are you guys feeling about this? Oh, I hope you stay strong. Even though theirs are not, their, their world's not staying strong, they want to know that we are. And, and I tell you, that's going to be one of the big things. When evangelism begins to close down, and it will in the ways we're doing it, we have precious moments now. Isn't that the name of ministry? Something like that. You know, we have precious moments right now where we're able to share full. The time is going to come where it'll be more like it was during the Darker Ages when it was not, you were not able to share as, as clearly. And that's, I think that's a, a clear thing. And in our businesses, we want to be able to have uh, decisions. We want to encourage you to be thinking about how you're going to relate. Because if you have to do it on the spur of the moment, you may do it right, but you also may make a mistake that you've got to go clean up. And if you've previously thought it through how you're going to relate to an issue if it arises, then you are just letting the Holy Spirit guide you in that moment now. So go ahead, Norm. I was just going to say we're at a time when we need to have the Holy Spirit every minute of our working days and uh, follow basic principles, the golden rule, fairness to people, you know, kindness to people. But someday it's going to become oppressive. In my county, we have uh, 50 judges. And I understand, I'm told, I don't know who they are, and I, I think I've been before one of them. We have three lesbian judges. And I have a friend, a, a white uh, Anglo-Saxon lawyer type, who says every time he goes into this one courtroom, he gets trashed just because, you know, he's perceived as being not them. So uh, that's, that's a reality, and, and I think it's coming when, when, when uh, the, it becomes pervasive. You know, this has rolled across the country to D.C. started in California. It started right across the water from me. So we, we, we're about three years ahead of the curve. Yeah. Okay, Denzel? I, yeah, I go to a lot of different uh, seminars and trying to understand people and ethnic groups and things like that for banking. And we had a, we had a, um, we had a gentleman speak to us who really was an insider of the politics. And he was talking about, the, I call it the letter clubs, the letter clubs and how that they, have, uh, they are so far ahead of what they planned on that they can't even catch up because it's gone so much faster than they thought. They're 10 years ahead of their plan. And so he says, don't make no mistake, they're going to catch up and d do a new plan. But he said, you got, the, he was talking about, from a banker's point of view, he was talking about how to reach, how to, how to do business. But, but I looked at it from an evangelistic point of view. We have an opportunity, but it's not very long. Yeah, that's right. Okay, you have a question. Yes, it was around this um, whole point about uh, fairness that we mentioned earlier and also the, the bigotry that um, people feel that religious people have against this particular LGBT group. Um, and I wanted to find out maybe from a legal perspective, when the government um, legalized um, heterosexual couples who are not married, who live common law and say they're equal to a married couple, did that have any impact on the church from a legal perspective? Um, and... There didn't seem, doesn't seem to have been in society any charge of bigotry against anybody who treated a heterosexual, non-traditionally married couple um, differently from, you know, some, uh, a couple that was, was married. So um, if, we, if we used our treatment of the heterosexual, uh, you know, um, who just common law living together, and we showed that we treated them in a way that was loving but was also biblical. For example, I don't think our educational institutions would grant them, um, you know, living accommodations similar to 
married couples uh, from the biblical perspective, and we had a track record of, of treating um, those people that way, wouldn't we be seen as fair in terms of our practice of religious beliefs? I'll, I'll, I'll give a quick answer based on what Harold said. There is the concept historically of a religious exemption, that we're different. I mean, in my church, we've disfellowshipped people for living together, you know, counsel with them and pray with them. And, you know, it's happened and then they get married and they come back to church. I mean, that's happened and nobody ever intervened. But I think the day of the concept that religious entities are different is, is soon to be over. And I think that uh, we're going to be at risk and, and we're going to have to deal with that. I, I don't know that we know how to deal with it yet. I think that's the big thing. And I'm, I, we only have uh, five minutes left, and I want to wrap this, okay? And I know that there are a number of questions, and we could go for the next two hours just answering questions. Uh, what I'd like to do, um, and afterwards, if anyone wants to come and talk privately, you can. Henry, I would like for you and Debbie both to share, from your perspective, what would be the Christian way for us, and if anybody out here has a business or a ministry, how should they be thinking to minister to this unique group of people? I think your principles need to be clearly identified. You need to have accurately described job descriptions for your employees in the company. They need to know that you will act and respond not in the same way that anybody else in business in your community will. Because uh, many people are taking shortcuts, and it's just, uh, it isn't necessarily a fact that they will respond in an ethical and honest way. Many businesses are operated in a different kind of a venue than they used to be. So uh, I think your employees need to know, without you painting it up on a bulletin board, that you're... Christians and that you will do the honest and moral and ethical thing. They need to be able to respond to your customers if there's a, um, a make-do uh, adjustment. It needs to be in favor of the customer. And I, I just think that you'll, you'll find that same counsel if you look in the Spirit of Prophecy. And Ministry of Healing has a lot. The book Education has a lot. Uh, God's got great opportunities for you, but you be praying for your employees and your customers, your clients every day, and you're going to see him intervene in a way that will be a blessing. I think <clears throat> that it's um, important, and I'm coming from a perspective of uh, being a an African-American um, and dealing with some of the issues related to civil rights, which is often um, used as in support of uh, this very thing. So uh, I think um, treating people equal but not the same. So you have to understand what that means. And uh, so you're looking at each situation on its own merit and make sure that you're treating them equal to whatever else might be coming to you, but it may not be the same. And being able to use those principles in order to guide that treatment. Uh, I, I think another thing is to uh, model. Um, modeling uh, how we interact with uh, individuals that are different from us. Um, goes a long way to help people understand um, 
where our head is and, and how, how we are living principled lives. Uh, I used to teach um, a short diversity uh, presentation for new employees and um, was trying to always bring them to a point to understand that each of us has our own filter and it's through that filter that we um, you know, assess our world and make judgments, but we think that everyone is like us and everyone is not like us. So you have to think from their point of view, always thinking from the other person's point of view um, and approaching them from that perspective helps them realize that there is at least a sense of understanding. So those are a couple of the things I would suggest. You know, um, it's a complex world and it's going to become more complex and that's by the design of the devil, I think, to try to confuse and to to make the decisions as challenging as possible. And we need to be trying to simplify a complex world. And, and you, know, you know what I think the devil is trying to do? I think he's trying to weaken our resolve. You make a little decision. You're f you, you become fearful. You're fearful to do anything, to stand for anything, to be anything. And then when the real test comes, you don't have any backbone left. I yeah. mean, I, that's what I've seen. I've, I've sat as a judge. And I couldn't say things. I mean, I had people before me, and, and you know, I couldn't do anything except be right, right down the line. And, and that's there are people that are afraid. They're afraid to stand for anything. And we should not, you know, one of the things in business, how many of you have ever heard, don't make a decision out of fear? Okay, you don't want to make a decision out of fear. So you need to conquer the fear and say, okay, no matter what our situation, we're going to honor the word of God. And we're going to care about people because it's going to be those very people who may be your next-door neighbor in heaven who you just couldn't stand their behavior and their lifestyle. So we don't want to be judgmental. But at the same time, if we allow the devil to succeed in watering down the principles that we live by, we have lost and in our own experience and in the witness to our neighbors, and, and as Denzel said earlier, how many people are out there that are going to be coming in because there's a people who stand for something? And our methodologies may change. We may not be able to preach in the same way, and we may not sew portions of Scripture inside our clothes like the Waldenses did, but there's going to come a time where we have those same kind of opportunities to be able to share the Word of God in those situations. Anybody else have anything else you'd like to add? Just one last thing. Um, we may not have the strength of camaraderie to, in order to support our stance. So we have to be uh, really solid in our understanding of Scripture and with prayer so that we may be standing alone even amongst brothers and sisters in the church. And so we have to be very clear about what that position is so that we can stand individually and independently as needed. The next great conflict within this society is going to be pitting the gay rights issue against religious exemption, against religious liberty. Religious liberty has been a very important topic to Seventh-day Adventists. It's really going to be tested when, you, uh, when the court is forced to decide, are the rights of gay and lesbians, are they going to trump the right to worship God as we believe it to be? That's the next great issue in this society, and it's not going to be an easy outcome. And it probably is not very far away either. Wow. 
Okay, that's worthy of, of, of repeating. In the Smithsonian Magazine from the June 2015 issue, the 100 most influential people that have influenced America, Ellen White is listed there. That's going to mean, I bet there's at least 40, 50 people that will go by that now. Next to Abraham Lincoln. Next to Abraham Lincoln. Wow. I, I apologize for not being able to get to every question. Um, has this been useful? Has this been a good discussion? I know we didn't cover everything, but uh, thank you. And I, I just want to, uh, I'm going to ask Henry to pray for us as we, as we close out today. It's, it's my prayer, and I think it's all of our prayer, that in your business, in your ministry, you will make it a priority to find ways to share Jesus Christ in your marketplace. That's what we exist for. That's what ASI is all about and has been for years and years and years. Find ways to do that. It doesn't have to, you may get an idea from here, but you may have that idea actually express itself in a totally different way when you get home. Um, that's our hope and prayer. And as we maneuver through the minefield of the future, we need to be praying for all of our employees, praying for all of our customers, praying for our families that God will give us wisdom and guidance as we go through that, um, these times. Because at the end of this time, there's a glorious moment that is going to be there for all of us. And I tell you, for one, I want to be there with all of you and with my family to hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I hope that's your prayer as well. Um, Okay, I'm going to ask Henry to pray, and then we're going to, if anybody else has questions you want to come up, as long as people are willing to be here, it's the lunch hour, um, we'll, we'll be uh, talking. So, Henry, would you, would you pray us out today? And you can all stand. Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, we come before you because you've given us opportunities to meet people in the community where a pastor may not ever have the opportunity. Lord, you've given us opportunities to make an impact on the lives of our employees, our clients, our customers, our patients. And Lord, we want to do it in the way that you would have us do that. We're not here for entertainment. We're here, we're here Lord, because we want to be able to share you in the marketplace. Please bless each one of us as we continue to con- be confronted with the issues that particularly uh, the legal beagles in our, in our fellowship have uh, spoken to. We know that time is wrapping up and that Jesus is coming back soon. So just prepare us uh, by faith to be able to reach people right where they are, where they hurt. And let us stand for you in everything we do. Bless us, Lord. And if we are able to have an ASI meeting once again next year, please bless that abundantly. Let us recognize that we need to be praying about property and assets that we have, how we should be getting rid of them, how we should be moving to the country, and how we should be preparing for your soon coming. Thank you for hearing our prayer and for blessing us here today in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org 
Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.